Hey guys, I'm Justin Hull and this is the Glazing Success Podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Keith Dahlman of My Shower Door and My Architectural Glass and he's about to drop some knowledge bombs. You gotta strap in, cause this is gonna be a fun ride. So the big question is this, how are glazers like us, who are just trying to grow our businesses, spending money from our own pockets, how do we market in a way that gets our services out there while remaining profitable, yet still be able to dominate our local market? That is the question, and it's my job to give you the answer. My name is Justin Hall, and welcome to the Glazing Success Podcast. Hey, well, welcome, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Glazing Success Podcast. This is your host, Justin Hall. Today, I am here with Keith Daubman of My Shower Door. This man is a legend in the glazing industry. Him and his father and his family have the, they are the owners of D3 Glass. Uh, one of our uh, previous interview episodes, I had Bill on and it was an absolute killer. His, his story is amazing. Keith, welcome to the show. How are you today, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So, so tell us a little about yourself and uh, how you guys got started in the glazing industry. Yeah, so I'm 44 years old. Uh, I was raised in an entrepreneurial family. I'll, I'll touch on that in a minute, but currently some of my day-to-day responsibilities are I'm uh, on the road in the retail showroom uh, salesperson. Uh, I'd like to say I'm a professional negotiator. And uh, I've been doing that role now for about uh, 19 years here in Southwest Florida. Um, as I sit right now, I'm in sunny Naples, Florida. Uh, and just real quick to touch on how we got into here. I, I do, I've had the uh, fortunate pleasure of doing some speaking in the past, especially to some local schools. And I, I always start off by saying that when I was 13 years old, I was given the gift of cancer. And I say that because I wouldn't be sitting where I am today an entrepreneur if I hadn't um, been diagnosed with Lodge, uh, Hodgkin's non-lymphoma and my parents just didn't have the means to get me the proper care I needed um, and to do so at the time based on their current jobs and to do so they had to start a business and that was the birth of you know our entrepreneurship it was kind of our, our true blessing in disguise and so here we are now uh, selling a lot of glass and collaborating with people here along the west coast of Florida and now in Boca Raton, and we are having an absolute ball at it. Absolute Absolutely. ball. Absolutely. What a story, man. What a background. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Um, how did uh, how did that play out? How did you end up coming through that? And uh, and what was, I mean, obviously, you know, you're, you're well now, but what kind of an impact did that have on you? Um, it had a massive impact. Um, it had a good impact. For, it was kind of um, a delayed gratification, if you will. And I didn't see it at the time. I mean, I was at a very impressionable age, you know, 13 years old. A lot of my friends, 13, 14, start kind of finding themselves and hanging around with um, opposite sex, if you will. And uh, I, you know, I, I, I was going through a dark time because I was getting treatment. You know, I was, I was sick. You know, I'd lost all my hair and I was just very self-conscious and it, it actually really did a number on me. The blessing part of that was I immersed myself um, kind of unknowingly in my, in my parents' business that was started to help me. And so at the time, you know, not being accepted overall through, you know, all of the kids that hung around my age, I had 
um, a select few that were that I'm still close with today that, you know, helped me get through that and were just true friends. But those dark times that I went through in the beginning, um, I wouldn't go back and change any of it as much as I hated it and just didn't want to be around anymore. At sometimes it has built uh, who I am today. And um, I, I wouldn't change that for the world. I'm very grateful for that. And I've, I've used it to my advantage. Um, a lot of the coworkers know that because I use the cancer card quite often, very competitive. And I often like to spike the football too, when we get a win. So um, but yeah, it's, it's been a true blessing in disguise. Absolutely. Have to celebrate every win. Like I say, we're not here for a long time. We're, we're, we're here for a good time. That's, that's correct. Absolutely. And uh, so, so tell me um, how long have you guys actually been in the glass business and, and how long have you, were you ever personally a glazer yourself with you or have you always been on the glass side or on the sales side? No. So that's a great question. Um, starting off, um, coming out of that remission and, and becoming a young adult, 17, 18, 19 years old, he's 16. Um, I was installing shower doors, shower doors and closet shelving. Um, and I did that probably from right around 1995 until about 2010. Even when we moved down here, um, I was doing all the installing along with, um, there's someone you see in some of the videos, Jason, uh, who's been with us about 25 years, him and I were handling all the installing. And my brother, father, and mother were handling the showroom and all the behind the scenes stuff. Equally as important, but not as flashy paperwork, insurances, what have you. And so I didn't really get into the sales um, portion of it um, until about 2009, 10-ish, and really fell in love with it. I love talking with people. I love collaborating. I like, I like solving problems, even though I think we, a lot of us complain about it in the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I like organized chaos. I almost thrive on it. That's why I have a hard time going away on vacations uh, because I get so antsy. I want to. I want to be building something. I want to be fixing something. Well, that's and, uh, that's uh, the heart of an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's problem. inherent in all of us. Absolutely. Anybody who's in entrepreneurship understands that the that that a sale that in in order to make any kind of sale, in order to to build a business, you have to solve a problem, and uh, you have to understand that where that problem comes from and how best to solve it. So, so tell me, um, what are some of the biggest struggles that you guys have faced over the years growing uh, my shower door to the epic success you guys have so far? Yeah. One that stands out um, to me without question in the beginning was culture. Now I didn't see it as culture. It just saw it as turnover. And, you know, like most business people, especially starting off, um, you hear, you hear it widely. Even now I can't find people to work, you know, younger generation doesn't want to work. Nobody wants to work like I do. And I had that mentality for a long time too. And it's just not right. And I say that because how can you expect somebody that you're employing to be as passionate as you when they don't get to reap the same rewards? And so having managed expectations and really almost giving the impression because it's true that I work for them. They don't work for me. And when we really started to um, use that as the backbone of our philosophy, it changed everything. Productivity went up, profit margins went up, 
um, turnover went down, therefore profit went up again. And, and everything's really rooted around culture, even before the customer. If our house isn't in order, how can we perfect, perfectly serve a customer? And so over the last two years, we've really reinvested um, in training, culture building. We brought in, a, you know, nobody, not one person in this company gets, you know, hired without going through a four-week training and two weeks of product knowledge, another two weeks of customer service, follow-up. Um, and a lot of the soft skills that are often overlooked when we hire, you know, sales, I need a salesperson, but, you know, do they have any formal training? And if so, where did it come from? And so we, we put a lot of stock into culture, 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 culture. That's uh, actually- you just can't grow. You can't grow to that next level without having um, a team. You know, if you want to go fast, you definitely go alone. But if you want to go far, you have to go as a team. And if you don't put them first, you just, you're not going to go very far. That, that is very true. That's something I'm actually learning in my own business right now is we started, uh, we started hiring and, and training uh, new sales representatives and uh, we have our, we have our tech team all together and that's, that's great. But when it really comes to the culture of the sales team, uh, you have to, uh, you have to maintain that, that, you know, uh, a learner's mentality and always be learning and always be coaching, uh, especially as you move into leadership. Um, I've noticed, you know, that, my job as the leader, as the owner of the company is not to, uh, is not to dictate, but to guide and to, to learn what someone's goals are and then to, uh, to help them achieve their goals via the, the growth of my business. So that's something that I, that I also teach to a, a lot of my clients. So, so tell me, what is, um, what is the way that you guys source new employees and retain them when, when we talk about culture? How do you guys, because that's a big problem that a lot of, uh, a lot of clients I have and a lot of other glazers are running into right now with the shortage of employees. Uh, so, so how do you guys uh, find, find new employees and retain them for so long? Uh, well, there's a lot to unpack there. First, the social media and brand that we've built here at my shower door has you know, over the last five years, got to the point where it's attracting talent. Now, for years and years, we'd put out your typical just help wanted, help wanted, and we'd interview them. And, you know, you put some money on the table and see if it just works out. Now we're, because of the brand and, and presence we have on social media, I think it's attracting people that want not necessarily money first, but want to be happy and respect it and be a part of something bigger than themselves. And so that's what we project because that's what we're doing. We're, you know, all the owners are actively here every day um, involved, not only in making big high level decisions, but helping every aspect of the company. So we lead by example, number one. Um, two, we've never gone on this period where, we're, okay, we're gonna hire now, but we're not gonna hire in the second quarter. We've always been hiring. And even if we don't need a person, if we find someone that we believe is going to fit this culture and help build our brand, we'll make a position instead of just waiting out of necessity, because now you start making decisions based on, you know, necessity. And that's just not a good position to come from. Um, we also changed the way we pay a lot of our, um, actually all of our employees, we moved everything more to a skill-based pay and we lay out their future uh, for the next two, three, four years. We're not just kind of sitting at the table when their year review comes up and, you know, the, you know, it's my year review, it's time for a raise and there's no kind of give and take. We've kind of set the precedent over the next three, four, five years 
what our expectations are along with what their expectations are. And we kind of merge them together and that's how we build their plan. And we found that works because the number one fear, I believe, you know, in everybody is the fear of unknown. You know, all of our decisions that we make are, are rooted around fear or mitigating fear. And when we started planning their future out, we noticed that the culture got better and turnover went down because there was no more fear. There was no more of this uncertainty. You know, I'm just working for the man and I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like or next year. And maybe I should start looking at other things, which means they're not working hundred percent here because they don't feel comfortable because there's some type of fear. And so we try and quench that fear as much as possible. We had a perfect example of that during COVID when it first started, you know, end of 19 or 20, whenever it really peaked up, depending on what part of the country you were in, there was a lot of anxiety among um, employees, employees, families. We're going into customers' homes. It was just a real turbulent time. And a lot of people were laying off, you know, restaurant industry took a haircut. A lot of industries took a bath, especially down where we're at, it's mostly tourists. So if there's not people here touristing, they're not buying anything. And um, we sent everybody home for 45 days, everything paid, insurances, retirement, everything. To we see that as an investment to quelch that anxiety, and we're banking on we're going to come back out of that even stronger. And we did. Um, everybody was extremely happy. Their family members were happy, and it just that strategy was just another opportunity for us to build a, a better bond here. And that's exactly what it did. That's excellent. I, I love to hear that. Uh, really sticking by your employees and. And creating that culture from the get-go—that's something that—that's uh, another another part of the uh, the coaching that we do, and, and another part of what what I teach the clients that I work with is that when you embed the culture that you want to create into the training that you have with your employees, when you embed that culture into into the into your own mind, into every single action you take in your business, then it pays off in so many ways more than just monetary or in profit margin. You know, you're looking at employees who will literally turn down a pay raise from someone else because they are so much happier working where they are. And when you have that kind of that kind of synergy across the board, it reminds me of, uh, uh, you know, Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People book. Uh, I, I'm sure if, if you speak anything about uh, emotional intelligence, you've, you've read that. So, uh, you know, that's uh, something that that habit six talks about is the synergy and uh, and creating synergy in the workplace uh, is it really is controlled chaos. It's and it's, you know, sometimes you just got to go with it and see what happens. But trust in those people and understanding, you know, exactly winning, winning the private victory before you win the public victory. You know, uh, it, it speaks a lot to the uh, the culture that you guys have. So uh, um, next question, I wanted to, you, you talked about the training that you guys do. Um, uh, do you, what, kind of, uh, what kind of training do you offer your, uh, your installers uh, and how long is that program and kind of what does it look like before they're allowed to go into the field and start working? Yeah, so that one, the installer one as well is, is four weeks. In the first two weeks, they're with uh, one of our uh, tenured installers who's kind of worked their way up the ladder and is a, is a trainer. And we have five mock-up units at our factory that are, are in a corner for our training facility. And every one of those vignettes, tiled vignettes, it's set up just enough differently to cover almost every aspect that we would see out in the field 
you know, there's many different configurations, but, you know, mitered corners, angled wall, out of squares, single doors. And we go through and we do all those installs and, and you know, we teach them the nomenclature around the, uh, the wording of the industry and make sure that they understand their way around a toolbox. We don't necessarily look for people that have only been in the glass industry. It actually really doesn't matter to us. As long as they're committed and loyal, we'll train everything else. And so the first two weeks is just product knowledge, installation. You know, every one of our trucks is outfitted the exact same way. Because, uh, you know, even with two trucks or, or a whole fleet of trucks, trucks break down and you got to move guys around. And the last thing you want to do is disrupt the way they do their business. So, you know, I can't take Johnny's truck because he's got special to it. Everything's outfitted the same exact way. And when they go in the customer's home, you know, blankets are left down a certain way, you know, levels and tape measures aren't put up on the counters, all these kind of soft skills that, you know, we often overlook because the, you know, it's a $2,500 shower and it's beautiful and they should just respect our artistry and we can go in there and run rickshaw in their bathroom. And that's just not the case. You know, a lot of these customers would give you a lot longer leash as an installer when they see your truck parked out in the, in the street, not the driveway, you offer to take your shoes off before you go in. And, you know, these things are paying the ass when you got a busy day and you're installer. I get it. But it also puts maybe a $100 bill in your pocket when you're done and they, they refer a friend and they call your boss and say, this guy's so good, you better give him a raise. And it just has some of these unintended consequences when you can take the time to, you know, do the installation the way that you would want to see it done at your house. You know, that's really what empathy is, is, is delivering information the way the customer sees it, not the way you see it. So I want to and so we spend a, a lot bit. of time on that. That's, that's awesome. I want to unpack that a little bit on the empathy side. Uh, you know, uh, when, when I first approached you, you talked a lot about emotional intelligence and how, and how that plays a huge role in leading the company. And I, I kind of want to, I want to expand on that a little bit from your point of view. Um, how has, how has emotional intelligence played a role, not only in your sales position, but also in, in the role as a leader within your company? And, and what would you tell someone starting out uh, about emotional intelligence and the, and the benefits that they'll, they'll receive from, from investigating that in their own life? Um, First, the, the emotional intelligence that I stumbled across, it's almost three years ago now, has changed my life, not only as a business person, but as a father, a husband, and just an overall collaborator. And I always thought that I was made to be in sales and sales were like in the movies, you know, we got to win, 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 win at all costs. I win means you lose. And I, unfortunately, I had that mentality like a lot of people do. Um, because that's the way it's publicized. That's, you know, Wolf of Wall Street. You see all these movies, they just take, 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 take. And there's nothing wrong. I'm not against earning a lot. But what I've realized is we have to preserve the other side's autonomy. If you really want to get a lot, you know, it's one thing to be greedy. It's another thing to be long-term greedy. And if you're going to be long-term greedy, you have to preserve the other side's autonomy. And the only way to do that is to listen to what they're actually wanting instead of value propositioning and pushing stuff down their throat that they just don't need because you believe it's what's the best for you or for them. And so when I got into learning about what empathy is, empathy is kind of the backbone to the emotional intelligence. And I was kind of confused what empathy really was. I, I kind of 
Let's simulate it with sympathy. You know, you know, oh, you know, Justin, you got hurt. Oh my God, I feel so bad. Let me give you a hug and I console you. And, and once I got into it, you know, I read a lot of Stephen Covey, uh, Chris Voss and, and a bunch of other guys and, and Gary V. you know, they use empathy as the bedrock of what they're doing. And empathy is the, not only the understanding, but demonstrating what the other person sees through their eyes. You know, you can have empathy with your worst enemy. I do not have to like what you're saying. I don't have to agree with what you're saying. I don't even need to like you. But if I can show you that I understand the position that you're coming from, it'll open your mind massively to listening to me and start to build, you know, let your guard down and build trust. And so that you use the emotional intelligence for trust-based influence. Now, some people, when I've heard this before, say, well, Keith, it sounds just like you're just manipulating people. And the difference between, I think Covey said, the difference between manipulation and persuasion is intent. And our intent here is to get a five-star Google review and have all the customers' friends buy from us. And so that means I better have good intentions because with the internet and our social media presence, it's not very hard for a customer to call out on our bullshit. You know, Keith was a snake oil salesman. I'd never buy from him. And you won't find that anywhere because our intentions are to do good by the customer. And so uh, we don't find it as manipulation. It's just kind of the proper way of doing business. You know, we do a lot of active listening and, you know, there's, there's a bunch of skills soft skills that you can use to demonstrate empathy um, that are out there when you're getting into a conversation or a negotiation with someone that is, you know, struggling with the same part of what you are, you know, you're trying to sell glass, they need to buy glass, you need money. So you kind of, both are struggling from a different component of the same problem. And if you can demonstrate to the other side that we're going to do this together, and we're going to both be better off because of it, you'd be surprised what opportunities present themselves um, when you go in. And, you know, one of the hacks that I use quite often is curiosity. Um, I go into every, every um, opportunity I have with a, a curious mind for two reasons. One, can't be curious and mad at the same time. Can't do it. And curiosity, um, I think an old sales adage is interesting people are interested and if I seem interested in what you're saying, you're going to be very interesting to me because you're going to be giving me more information. And, you know, a good salesperson is only talking about 30% of the time. So I need to make you feel comfortable, let your guard down and start telling me all your true problems, because I can't only give you the best service if you're honest with me. Now, unfortunately, there's been many other salespeople before you and I that have kind of burnt the road for that, you know, used car salesman, AC guy took somebody, somebody got bent over and now they carry that bias and it's our job to make them feel comfortable and not have to worry about us bending them over as well. Uh, and so we need to preserve their autonomy. And the best way to do that is through empathy. Best way. I completely agree. Uh, one of the biggest thing that stands out to me about that is uh, how, uh, how Stephen Covey speaks about instead of coming at a, at a problem from opposite sides of the table, when you are, when you, when you act with empathy, you're now both looking at a problem from the same side of the table and employing that in business building and in, in sales, in marketing and everything that, that I do and in everything that, you know, that I teach my clients and, and that I, uh, I teach my children, 
you know, that's that's extremely important to uh, to long term growth and success, a character based approach uh, instead of, a, you know, instead of a personality based approach. So uh, so tell me, um, what is uh, right now with with all the success that you guys have with my shower door? What is uh, what is the vision for the next five years and where do you guys see yourselves? That's that's good. We. We've had to rewrite these five-year plans. I think we're on our fourth or fifth one now because we, you know, we hit it and now it's like, now what do we do? So we got to write another, you know, another goal down. Like you were stating earlier, vision drives decision. So we always need to have a vision. And so right now we're continuing to um, open up more retail locations. Um, Our immediate uh, stressor right now is adding a personnel in the installation department, skilled trades, um, which is, seems to be a, a harder pool to pick from. Uh, and it, However, the people that are willing to get into that space have a lot of upside in their future because as less people get into the trades, that commodity becomes worth a lot more. And, and the people that see that and um, engage in the social media to help brand themselves through that have a massive a future uh, should they want to do that. But the next five years, we're going to keep opening more stores. We just uh, got our first autoclave, so we went a little bit more vertical in our manufacturing to um, stretch out our product offerings and just continue to strengthen our culture. That's excellent. What is uh, what is D three Glass doing, man? I know you guys manufacture and warranty your own stuff. So, so how does uh, how does that actually benefit? Uh, to I know a lot of people have been dealing with supply chain issues. Has, has that been a big issue for, uh, for my shower doors having that manufacturing side really helped avoid that, that, um, that pothole, that pitfall? The, well, don't forget, you still got to buy glass, right? So how far back does this plan chain issue go? We're buying directly from the float plant. Um, as much as we see, and I am personally affected by shortages because I buy other products too. You know, I buy chicken wings and I buy gasoline and, um, I know there's shortages out there. We have not experienced a lot of shortages in the products that we're buying, not because there's not a shortages in the industry. I just believe we have such a good working relationship with our vendors that let's face it, there's going to be shortages. It's not outages. And so by definition, that means they get to pick who they sell to. And, you know, if they don't like us, I imagine we're going to be one of the ones that have an outage. Uh, conversely, because we don't have any problems, I'm assuming they like us uh, because we help branding. We're not just in it for us. We want to see our partner succeed as well. So we try and help out in any way we can. And I think when we were doing that in the beginning, we didn't see any payoff. But now here we are and we're not experiencing shortages. And I see a direct correlation to how we do business. You know, we respect our vendors even though, you know, we're paying them and they have a fiduciary responsibility to supply us what they promise, so is life. And when they have shortages, they come into a pickle. Do I send it to Keith down in Naples or do I send it to this other guy that buys $10 million a year, but he's an asshole? Well, we haven't had any glass shortages. So again, here's the empathy working, you know, preserving other people's autonomy, showing them that we care about them. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. Um, and it's, and it's excellent that, that you bring that up and, uh, and you share how, how that's affected your business and how, 
how you guys are able to continue growing at the rate that you're growing and regardless of the, the, the major pitfalls that other, that other businesses are having right now, simply because you are understanding your, your suppliers and your customers on, from an empathy side, from an empathic side, and, and really focusing on delivering the absolute best quality every single time, no matter what. So, uh, so tell me a little bit, I know that, and ultimately, you know, Glassboro Digital is a marketing agency. So I always like to talk about marketing and kind of seeing how that plays a role in your growth. So if you don't mind, uh, could you give me a little bit of an idea of, of how marketing has played a role in My Shower Doors growth and, and, uh, and what you guys marketing tech stack looks like today? Yeah, this is a real quick one because this is fun. I was just talking about this yesterday. When we first started in 2003, um, Doug and I's first investment in Bill uh, and my mother, there was four of us, was in the yellow pages. And that was a big deal. And, you know, my shower is an M. And when you were doing yellow pages back in the day, if you didn't have the money for the big ad, you at least wanted to be first, right? So it was like AAA glass, AAA showers. Uh, we didn't do that, obviously, but we were in the yellow pages. And then we, we gradually um, invested a little bit more into newspaper. And then the, build, the business started growing and we were going to functions every night, the home builder functions, the chamber functions. We were going, getting as, much, as many people as possible and just kind of just getting out there and getting our name out there. Then we made an investment um, into television. We started, uh, we invested into TV. We did a TV commercial. And I remember this like it was yesterday. We paid for one month on three stations, they were owned by the same company. It was like one you know, big name and then they had some off channel ones. And on the second week of the four week investment, we told them they had to stop running the television commercial. They said, well, you already paid for it. So will you keep the money? Just stop running it because we couldn't take all the phone calls. And so we were ahead of the curve as far as marketing a shower door company um, back in the day, 04, 03, 04, 05. The funny thing is when Facebook and all them were starting to get big with the smartphones coming out 08-09, the company's stance at the time was to mitigate the employee usage of social media because it it was just more of a personal thing. It was so new and it was like it was just another distraction. Plus, we hadn't matured as business uh, people yet, A, to have that empathy that we need to have for good culture, but true, see the benefit of using the social media. Now you fast forward 15 years and I can't talk enough of the employees into using the social media because it's our number one um, marketing tool right now. So we were doing a lot of marketing up until about three years ago, TV, radio, newspaper, print ads, you know, mailers in the improvement magazines, not the phone book. But that has gone down probably close to 75%. I don't have the real accurate numbers, but I know it's close to 75% of that budget has been chopped down. Now it's been allocated in different places because we brought in marketing gurus and editing people. So we're taking that same money, but we're devoting it to humans that are creating social media. And that has been phenomenal, phenomenal. You know, you know this anywhere you go, even in restaurants, as sad as it is, and I'm I'm a culprit of it. Airports, everybody's staring at the phone. Oh yeah. And so if you're if you're in any business for that matter, providing a service and expecting to get paid for it, even if you're not, maybe you're a volunteer or pro bono, and you want to save the world, 
the best way to do that, the quickest way and cheapest way is through social media. There's just, there's no other question. But as we talked about earlier, why aren't everyone doing that? Because of fear. Um, people's biggest problem is their biggest problem. Some people just can't look at themselves in the camera or can't hear themselves talk. And so they're willing to forgo branding whatever it is they're doing because of the fear. And I would encourage anybody and everybody that's looking to get their message out there, even if you're an employee, and I've heard this one before, oh, my boss just wants me to go on social media so he can get more money. Well, let me tell you something. And this is coming from personal experience. I've only been on social media three years. But I, you know, when I do something, I go all in on it. So now I attract 30,000, 40,000 followers. They don't want me going anywhere. Now the leverage is turned yep. because I'm the only one out here that's got this many following. So in the beginning, it might seem like, well, they're just using me. Well, no, you're building your modern day resume is what you're doing. Because should you leave and go to another company, you can show them all your work and they can see how you operate in a I call it almost like a virtual resume. It's like personal I can see branding. exactly who you are. I can see if you have a, it's personal branding. Now I happen to do it under the umbrella of my shower door and B3 and my architectural glass. But if there's another chapter in my life in the future, I've already got a building block of followers and people that trust me and might want other services. And so I, I just don't see a downside. Now, well, I just want to be private. I don't want people... I don't really broadcast anything about my family, my personal life. Everything's business. Now, I like to put humor on it because I'm a goof off and that's what I like to do. I like to have fun. But, you know, there's a lot of meat behind it, too. And there, there's so many other things. You know, the social media has helped me personally um, attract new opportunities, close existing opportunities. I've got customers I've been doing work with for 15 years that I feel are just looking at me for the first time in the last two or three years because of the social media. You know, you go to a new construction house and the shelter is one of the cheapest things in there. And so we're doing a renovation with all the subcontractors there. They're doing a walkthrough meeting and I'm going to be the last one they talk to because it's $1,500,000 for this, $1,000. We got the concrete, the tile, the roof, the electrical, the block. Now, when I go, owner wants to talk to me first, not because it's the shower doors, because maybe he's going to get on the social media. He views you differently. Maybe he's got respect for you because he's afraid to do it, but he appreciates what you do. Um, maybe you can help brand his business and he's hoping to be in one of the videos. It just, there's just so many benefits from it. So how, how has that already uh, really helped? I, I mean, I hear obviously with the, the expertise that you guys share via your social media, but it sounds like that personal brand has really given you a lot of authority in the industry uh, as not only not only an expert in what you do, but as as the expert, as like the person to, to go to. I mean, as far as contractors and getting new contractors that you maybe not have worked with, have you seen new opportunities with contractors uh, just from from posting on social media? Yeah, so let's do this real quick. Um, there's two people here in our office. Let me just show you this record. Up here? Yeah. The only job, the only job is to field all the opportunities that are coming through the social media posts that I do every day. There's four or five like legit stair jobs, wine cellars, office partitions. All the new designers, um, architects are seeing these posts and they're just DM message. You know, there's a call to action on all these. 
Now, it wasn't like that in the beginning. You know, it took years. Now, there was other things that would happen because of it. But if you're talking straight transactional, it's helped massively. I mean, we employ two full-time people just to do quotes based on social media posts. That's excellent. excellent. You know, social media now is the modern day version of cold calling. That's it. I put my posts out there. If it's something you like, you grab onto it. And and then you can follow up with them either in Messenger or move that to a to an off an off platform channel. I mean, sales and sales and marketing has completely changed. Uh, branding is still very similar, but it's no longer just brand awareness. It's it's you're you're driving you know measurable measurable actions, measurable call you know measurable movements in your business that that are going to drive revenue. They're going to drive profit. Going to drive growth. I mean, they're they're going to drive brand awareness. I mean, there's so many different things that you can use that for, and so many excellent platforms. Uh, but you know, honestly, what I what I see, especially in glazing as a whole, is the the majority of the business, uh, especially you know, the majority of, of glazing shops, smaller, even medium sized glass shops, they're still in that they they have that that mindset of oh well, this is what's working, and I'm not going to move forward. And I find personally, one of the most dangerous things that I've ever said in my own business is uh, you know, well, that's the way we've been doing it. And, uh, and, and I hear so many people say, well, that's the way we've been doing it for so long. Well, I mean, honestly, if, if that's the way you've been doing it for so long, you know, personally, that sounds like that there needs to be something to shake it up. And, uh, and, and how, does, how does that technology, how does the, the technology that, that has developed over the last 10 years affected my shower doors growth? And, uh, and what would you say to somebody who is kind of stuck on that, that fence of, well, this is how we've been doing it? Well, first I would say, are you interested in growing? Because we need to both be on the same page here. I'm not going to force somebody. I don't give my opinions to any other businesses. I used to, and, and I had the same discussions that you're saying right now. It's like, well, you're complaining you don't have enough money or you don't have this, or you don't have that, but you're not changing anything. I mean, your business looks like it just crawled out in 1985. You haven't advanced anything with all these times and all these new tools and devices. Um, we look to the technology to improve everybody's positions here and build, you know, a bigger brand. When we first started measuring shower enclosures in 03, we saved, I got one right here. We have, we have a, a takeoff sheet and we were methodical about the information we wanted on that takeoff sheet. Cause we knew in the next year or two, when we're going to have a couple thousand of these, we're going to want to look to this data and trying to extrapolate um, almost artificial intelligence. And, and I say that because in year three, we implemented not a software program, not QuickBooks, but something more robust to capture all this data. And now we fast forward 18 years later, we're, we can almost tell the future because we have so many jobs done in a concentrated area we know that these people over here buy this and because these are in these type of buildings, they have a tendency to buy this. So we direct our marketing based on the intel that we've taken in on all these. So, well, it's just a shower door. It's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. You know, the devil's in the details. And if you can pay attention to all those little details and you're calculated about it, a lot of people showering every day. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, it's a very lucrative business. And it shouldn't be taken lightly. 
uh, just because we're, you just do shower doors. It's a massive business and should be treating accordingly. So having the proper software to capture all your takeoffs, having proper follow-up CRM, you know, having a strong social media presence, having the emotional intelligence, the next level high performers of this coming generation will all be using emotional intelligence. That's how they'll separate that 1% will be separating themselves from the field. I absolutely agree. Um, you know, because I believe we can do myself could do you know, five days of work of an average worker in two days. And it's not because I'm working harder. I know how to communicate to know what deals aren't really, you know, the 80, 20 rule. I'm not wasting time on deals that I know are never going to turn out to be something. But, but I still have to preserve the other types of autonomy because they might be doing business in the future. And so once I learned, you know, how to overcome that, we started, you know, money started growing and I wasn't doing as much work, which was, was a nice change. That's excellent. So uh, one thing that I really noticed, especially about my shower door is the difference between you guys and a lot of other glazing shops is, uh, you know, I see a lot of glass shops that have their, their curtain wall, their storefront, their, their shower doors, they're all just rolled into one big, you know, one big conglomerate or one big shop and everything's in the same place. Whereas uh, personally in my own business and uh, in, in the clients that I have seen that have been truly successful, like in large scale successful, they, they systematize each separate part. And that's something that I see within my shower door. You guys have the my shower door section. Then you have the my architectural glass section. You have D3 glass for the manufacturing. But each each part plays its own role. And instead of it all being under the same brand and under the same umbrella, I, I see how that that's really, uh, you know, it's contributed a lot to your growth. So um, how would you how would you advise a, a glass or, or a, you know, a glazing entrepreneur, someone who is getting into this business? maybe for the first five years right now, uh, how would you advise them in uh, how to set up their business so that they can achieve the most success the fastest? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, what is the goal? If the goal is to achieve, what is success to them? Is it just selling a shitload of glass? I mean, just I to, to get the, as, as much growth as they can. First, you have to recognize what you're good at and what do you love to do? Because if you truly don't love it, you can't be the best at it. it you know, you look at the best of the best at anything, baseball, soccer, glazing, they all love it. And it shows because they're able to outperform. You know, I was born the same way you were. And, and whoever's watching this that's in the glass business, they put their pants on the same way we do. It's just we have a goal here and a direction and so let's take shower door, for instance, when we got, when we decided to open my shower door in 2003, it would have been easy for us to say, well, we're going to do mirrors. We're going to do shower doors. We're going to do tabletops. We're going to do everything because we don't have any money right now. So we can't, you know, who are we just to handpick what we want? Well, we said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to be a shower door specialist and we're going to blow the doors off all of our competitors, not by taking all the business, we're going to showcase the shower door industry different than what the area in where, where we live looks like currently, which is your typical industrial park, kind of commercial retail space, a little office in the front, a couple pieces of glass laying up against the wall, maybe a four-sided aluminum display, 
and then a carpeted table in the back with all the where all the installs come out of. And that's probably most glass shops. We said we didn't want to do that. We're going to get a retail space right across from a Lexus dealership, Mercedes dealership. We're going to ride on their coattails of marketing and we're going to pay a premium for our storefront. But we know that the customers that are coming in are looking for a premium product and they're going to be treated accordingly. Why? Well, I, I couldn't effectively sell high-end storefront, high-end shower, you know, high-end high all this stuff in a shore for like this. I, it, it's tough to be the master of one jack of all trades. It's tough to be perceived as a leader in a specific niche if you're doing all these other things, all this other noises around. So we said, we're just going to hone in on shower doors and we're going to do that the best way we can. We're going to showcase it the best way. We're going to produce them ourselves. We're going to innovate hardware because I know my eight other competitors are using one vendor, one vendor. And so when they come to our showroom, they see something completely different. The glass is the same. The tolerances I think are tighter, but, but we have our own proprietary hardware and we branded it accordingly. And then once we got in with all the architects and they started branding our product, you know, all the builders, there's only one place to go. So I would tell anybody that's looking to get into this, decide what you love. And maybe it's three things. Maybe it's storefront. I create a separate division because as this grows, you play, you're doing business because you expect it to grow. Well, as it grows, you can end up having multiple entities. Maybe you don't sell them all off. Maybe you sell one, maybe you sell them all off but they'll be worth more. And, and it, it creates less confusion in the marketplace. Agreed. As Dan Kennedy said, uh, uh, you know, a wonderful marketing, marketing professional, but as Dan Kennedy once said, the riches are in the niches. And uh, you know, that's, that's, that's really what I have found uh, as, as, as a marketing professional myself, working with glazing professionals and only glazing professionals you know, we don't we don't take on uh, anyone else, and we have a very systematic approach to how we how we generate business for our clients, and uh, and how we help them to establish software and you know embrace that that twenty first century mentality of using technology to your benefit instead of being intimidated by it and you know not not embracing that growth. So so it's been about 30, 40 minutes, man. It, this has been a phenomenal interview. I've learned so much. I, I'm very grateful for your time. Uh, so before we go, is there one is give me give me one one golden nugget to drop for the uh, uh, for the uh, for the new guys out there. It, somebody who's you know thinking about embrace or going into market or thinking about this and, and wanting to to start marketing their business in a new way. What what would you say to them? Uh, right now to, to get them to go on ahead and take that plunge? First, I would say find what you're passionate about and do it the best way possible, the way you would want to be receiving that service. And I'd highly encourage social media. Um, I'd look into something called empathy. And just a quick little hack. Um, um, it's been neurologically studied the human being is 31% smarter in a positive frame of mind, which means if you're not in a good frame of mind, you're dumber. And so even when I take phone calls, like if you close your eyes right now, Justin, you can hear me smiling at you and you know, I like you. <laughs> oh yeah. And, 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 and it's almost, there's a direct correlation between smiling and the mirror neurons in your brain. 
And when we're 30, 31% smarter is a massive, massive delta in odds. And you're, if I told you, hey, come to my blackjack table, you got a 31% chance of winning here greater than the other ones. Why wouldn't you do it? And so answering the phone in a positive frame of mind, people can hear when you smile. It, it might give you a little bit more latitude later on in that conversation. So I tell everybody, even if wife's giving you a hard time, kids are punching you in the balls. When you go to work and you talk to a customer, it's showtime, baby. You got to put a smile on your face. Right. It's time to be the ringmaster. That's what I'm talking about. So, uh, so if somebody wants to learn more about My Shower Door, where can they go to do that, man? Oh, they go to myshowerdoor.com. Um, if they're thinking about even wanting to get a, a position here, we got 18 open positions under the career tab. They can find my social media, uh, Keith Daubman at, um, on LinkedIn. Uh, Jay and I and Christina just started a page on Instagram, My Architectural Glass. A lot of off-color humor, um, a lot of cool glass projects we got coming this year that we're going to be showcasing. And uh, I'm going to be traveling a lot this year, going to a lot of shows. I got the IBS Builder Show coming here in Orlando. Going to go to Nashville to the BEC. And um, so if anybody wants to hit me up, feel free. Yeah, we'll see you there. Maybe we can do another podcast. That'd be awesome, man. I'll, I'll be at that BEC show. So uh, that's uh, and then we'll be at we'll be at Glass Build in uh, in uh, October. So it's going to be awesome. I think we're going to go to Chicago as well um, for uh, for the big. You should come to our factory. Yeah, yeah I'd love to, man. Uh, you know, the wife's been talking about going to Florida in the next couple of weeks, anyway. So if you and we can always take a trip. I'm just in North Alabama, so it's not like we're that far away, anyway. Uh, but hey, I really appreciate you talking to me today, Keith. It's been a blast. I've learned a ton about you guys. Uh, I, I really appreciate all the uh, you taking the time out of your busy schedule, man. And uh, if there's anything I can do for you, please just let me know. Other than that, uh, appreciate you being here. And uh, guys, if you want to check out My Shower Door, you guys, you, you heard Keith, check him out on LinkedIn at Keith Dahlman, myshowerdoor.com. If you want to learn more about GlassPro Digital, go to glassprodigital.com. Check us out on Instagram, join our Facebook group. Check out our YouTube channel. And of course, always recommend to drop the podcast. Blazing Success Podcast is Justin Hall signing off. We'll see you guys next time. Yo, thanks for checking out that episode, guys. Would you like some help growing your glass business? If so, then join my Facebook group, Business Success for Glazing Professionals, by going to glazer.tv forward slash FB group. That's glazer.tv forward slash FB group. See you there.